Do you want to lead this one, or do you want me to? I don't care. Whatever. Okay. I guess I can lead. Okay. Welcome back to Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Liv. I'm Dave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. Actually, I think you should lead. I'm hyper. I've been cooped up. <laughs> I've been cooped up. I'm so bored. I'm happy now, but I'm like, I'm dying in here. I might be rearranging my room today just because I'm that bored. It's been one of those days. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yep. Oh, heavens. Oh, heavens. Honestly, I just might move my bed so I have more floor space and then I can take more classes in my room and not find a quiet spot in the house, which is non-existent. So that's really what I'm, I'm mapping out in my brain is how can I move my bed? You could always just get rid of it and sleep on a cot. No. No? My, my poor hips won't, won't be able to handle that. It might be good for them. Mm. Eat glass. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. Oh my goodness. One year and we don't even get to be in the same room. Uh, We're in the same chat room. Oh, you right. You right. It kind of it doesn't count. It counts enough. It counts. It counts for something. It counts for quarantine. Counts for quarantine. Hashtag counts for quarantine. (laughs) That's a good hashtag. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. I'm not allowed to drive around anywhere right now except for the grocery store, so no one would see it. This is true. But yeah, happy anniversary, dear. Happy anniversary, babe. It has been a wild and awesome and fun ride, and I can't wait to have more anniversaries with you. I know. But the next anniversary we will have will be after we're married. Yeah, it'll be our engagement anniversary. I'm just counting different things as anniversaries. I didn't really know where you were going with this. Oh, oh, no, no. No, because I was thinking like, you know, you don't celebrate when you get together after you get married. This is true. You celebrate your wedding anniversary. Yes, yeah, so we'll get to celebrate that every year. But at the same time, like with how you and I do relationships, we celebrate like everything this all is the time. True. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if we'd be like, happy anniversary. This is the first time that we ever went to an arcade together. <laughs> the first time we ever went to a Chick-fil-A together. First Mexican restaurant meal. First Six Flags, which that's like May 6th. Sixth, I think. I think that was exactly one month after our first date. It was. And that date is a little easier to remember because Avengers Endgame had just come out. Yes. We had just become official not too long prior to that. Right. Like, That's true. We count our anniversary as far as our first date because at least on my end, and I think I think the same goes for you too. After our first date, I deleted the the dating app. I was like, all right, I'm not going to be seeing anybody else except for this guy unless things go south. No, yeah, absolutely. Like back when I was still looking, my approach to dating was that, you know, if I find somebody, I'm going all in. Like, I'm not going to go halfway in. That doesn't work for me. I've told you, like, I've tried the whole, like, okay, I'm going to try to date and explore with more than one person at the same time. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, I did that in college and was not a big fan of it either. Especially with you. With our first date, like, there was that connection and that it's ineffable. Like, there was something special there that I was like, 
oh yeah, this is something that I'm going to put my all into and more. Like it's time to start courting. Really get to know this person because I have a really good feeling about this. Yeah, I I felt very similar. It was it was funny because I remember getting the app and you were like the first person that I saw on the app. It, you were definitely the first person I swiped on and it had popped up that we had matched and I was like, all right, this is dope. So I like initiated our conversation. And from those two weeks of kind of getting to know who you were and make sure you weren't some like creep who's going to catfish me. You're trying to make sure that I was not a Joe exotic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so when we officially first met a year ago today, I definitely felt the same way. It was like, all right, there's something special about this person. Like we have so many of the same interests and, you know, he's not just interesting through a text message or a chat direct message on an app. Like he actually has substance to him because I've been on dates before where it was like, all right, we're going to go on this date. I, you know, I met somebody at a two-stepping club or, you know, when I was living in Houston, and I'd meet these different people and then I'd go on an actual one-on-one date with them and there was like (laughs) no substance. You know, there was no conversation. And for us, it was, I think it was like two and a half, almost three hours of just constant like learning and and exciting conversation. There was was depth. Because we had talked for two weeks before that. Yes. On a pretty consistent basis. Yes. And I was even at the beach for like a solid four of those days and was talking to you consistently. Which I didn't expect that out of you. I was like, okay, she's out with her friends. I'll talk to her hopefully when she gets back. <laughs> well, yeah. And I I mean, there was, there was definitely something about you that I was drawn to just on the app alone. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to this person. But I kept it a secret from my friends who I was with because I was like, I don't really know how I feel about telling people, oh, I'm on a dating app. Let me just tell everyone this is what I'm doing. So I would sit in a corner by myself on my phone and just like text you and talk to you because I I had never really done dating apps prior to this. I dabbled a little bit in Houston, but nothing serious. Like I never actually met anybody. I like swiped a couple times like, yeah, this is boring and gave up on the app and just, you know, I never really thought twice about it after that. So I, I definitely chatted you up a lot. And then you walked me to work and asked for my number because I, I had told you I wasn't going to give my number out until we met in person. That was a personal choice. (laughs) You rejected me the first time I asked you for your number. I just wanted to make sure, you know, I was keeping myself safe with being a former cop's daughter. I needed to make sure that I wasn't, you know, just giving my number out. I'm very careful about that. It's fine. I wasn't good enough at the time. I get it. I had to prove myself to you. It was a test. You had to prove that you were actually a real person. That's really all it was. Once I sat down and I can't remember, did you hug me or did we shake hands when I first got to the coffee shop? I'm pretty sure I hugged you because I'm a hugger. Yeah, I think you hugged me. And like at that point, we had talked for a while. Yeah. And I was like, I feel comfortable opening with the hug. We'll see how she responds. I'm going to roll the dice here. Yeah. Even though she rejected my attempts at getting her number, maybe a hug will work. I gave it to you the second time you asked. I gave it to you when we finished our first date. Hashtag persistence. (laughs) 
which I think it's a good route to take. If anyone is listening, you know, our listener, if you're single and thinking of dating online, I think it's a good route to take. It limits your risk of giving your number out to somebody who might be more on the dangerous side. That's just my advice. That's just my take from this. I wasn't trying to be a prude. I was just saying like, I need to make sure you real. I was also scared because I was like, what if he's not an iPhone user? And then come to find out you're not an iPhone user, but I don't really care. It's not a deal breaker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I respected the route that you took because it kind of showed me that you were actually serious. You weren't just out there for what a lot of people are on dating apps for. You were seeking something substantial, which is what I was looking for too. Yeah, I was at the point where I had made the conscious decision that any time that I was going to date, it was going to be dating with the intention of meeting somebody to marry. I wasn't going to play any more of these silly games. Not that I really played any games to begin with. I've always kind of had the mindset of I'm not dating just to date and see what happens. I'm dating with the prospect of can I see myself with this person for the rest of my life? I definitely wanted to have that mindset clear going into it. That's how I developed my my profile, honestly with that underlying tone of, yes, I'm on this dating app, but I'm not here for the same reason that 95% of the other women on this app are. I'm on here because I'm actually actively seeking out my future husband. Yes. And I'm so glad that you did not put in your profile, not here to play games. Must be six feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, height's not a problem. Everyone's taller than me. Grateful. (laughs) But yeah, so our our first date went super well. And I think you had texted me. You texted me when you got back to your place. Yeah, I'm not going to wait. Yeah, I was anticipating like, well, and I guess at this point, we had been talking pretty consistently for the past two weeks prior to us meeting. But I was like, Oh, all right, let's do the three day. I'm gonna have to be patient and see if he waits the three days. And no, it was like, I got to work, I changed my clothes, I started working and you had texted me and it was probably the most exciting thing. And I had like walked into work and I was working with a dear friend of mine that day, like we were sharing a shift. And I was like, I totally met somebody today. And she was like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, well, I didn't know how I was going to go, but I met somebody today. And there's something about this. Like, I met somebody. And she was super stoked. So so here's the thing about the three-day thing. If that three-day thing is in your personality, then do it. Fine. But for me, like, my personality is... I'm excited. I'm fired up. If I'm fired up about something, I want to share that and express that right then and there. I didn't want to wait the three days because that's not me. Right. If you weren't cool with me almost immediately texting you and saying like, that was a blast. Let's do it again soon. Then it probably wasn't going to work out. Yeah. Or I probably wouldn't have given you my number, to be honest. Like if I if I had an inkling, um, I wouldn't have given you my number. I would have been like, oh, no, like, I don't know. I would have probably come up with something on the spot of like why I shouldn't give you my number. But I I felt really good about it. So obviously, I gave you my number. And here we are a year later, getting married. Super excited for the fall. I know. I can't wait. There will be an absence of Corona, hopefully. People will have no excuse to not come and dance with us and celebrate with us. In all honesty, I feel like our wedding is like the peak moment and people are going to want to come just because they need to get out of their house and want an excuse to party. For real, though. So our wedding is going to be that excuse. I already have plenty of friends messaging me saying like, look, I cannot wait for your wedding. I'm so sick of being in the house. 
Honestly, I had a friend, we we talked last night, just doing a little check-in with each other and making sure we're doing well, even though we live like two minutes down the street from each other. She was like, okay, we got to talk bachelorette party because I know all of your people are going to want to party as soon as this is over. So let's talk about this. So we low-key kind of planned the bachelorette party last night, and that was pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited about the ideas that she's had. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, babe. For the record, we are going to do something fun once this whole stay in place order is gone. We're not going to just blow off the fact that it is our one year. We do have plans on making this day up. Oh, for sure. Initially, the plan was actually to fly down to Florida to see Eliza Schleisinger. Yeah. That was the initial plan. That kind of fell through. So you were looking at doing something local, and then Corona happened. Yes, then Corona happened. Womp womp. Yeah, but it's probably a good thing that we decided not to do that because probably would have been canceled because her whole tour has been canceled. It would have definitely been impacted by the coronavirus. But we will make the most of what we have now. Back on that Zencaster, good, good. Oh, yeah. And once this stay-at-home order has elapsed, we will see each other. Yes. But for now... We're podcasting about Clone Wars. I can't stop smiling. (laughs) I have officially caught up. I officially have favorite arcs. And we're going to talk about one of those because I'm now finished and have a grasp on characters. I have a grasp on how I feel about certain characters. We tried doing a podcast before about Clone Wars before I had been caught up. And I was in this like weird stage. I think it was like season two or season three. We tried to podcast originally about it. I wasn't comfortable letting myself open to certain characters and open to certain ideas because I didn't know where their character was going because I knew the outcome of Revenge of the Sith. So now that I have, I'm caught up and I have a full idea of what's going to happen and what's going on, I feel a little bit better about the Clone Wars. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this. I did not like the way the last one was turning out when I was editing it. Something just felt off about it. So we decided to hold off until now. I've been very encouraged by the sort of ad hoc discussions that we've had on Clone Wars in general and watching some of of your favorite arcs together, which gets me super fired up for what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Before we jump into your favorite arc, can I geek out on Clone Wars in general real quick? Of course you can. Try to address the folks out there that are considering watching Clone Wars but are not. Absolutely. Only if I can pose a question to our listener at the end about something that we've talked about that I want to hear our listener kind of chime in on this debate, discussion, conversation, you will, that we've had since watching a recent arc that will be, that is my second favorite arc that we'll also be talking about later on. Absolutely. Sweet. The floor is yours. Number one, watch Clone Wars. This is a outstanding show. This is the last expansion of the Star Wars universe that came directly from George Lucas himself. And it really broadens your perspective of the Force, this Jedi, the Sith, and just Star Wars in general. What I really appreciated was sort of the thoughtful exploration of these concepts and philosophies, and that it added so much more color to 
Star Wars, especially with the prequel era movies. It really does a remarkable job of filling that gap between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Lots more context is put there. So my relationship with the prequels in general, I've talked about before, but I'll briefly recap it here. When I first watched the prequels as a kid, loved it. Then I kind of grew into this stage where I had some misgivings on the prequels for a while. I was on the prequel hater train. It was really easy to ride that train. There's a lot of material you can play with. Your Jar Jars, your young Anakin pod racing, whatever. But then I kind of grew out of that and actually started to like the prequels again and really appreciated them for what they were. But it wasn't until I watched the Clone Wars did I start to actually love the prequels, really take to heart what they did for the Star Wars universe in general. Clone Wars expands on the world. That's one of the biggest things that it does. We get more of the world building in this galaxy far, far away. We get to learn more about it. We also build on characters that we may not have enjoyed as much in the movies. Liv, I think you've talked about how even Jar Jar was somebody that sort of started to grow on you as the result of some of the arcs that you saw in Clone Wars. Yeah, it doesn't change. And I just want to throw in here because I told you this. It doesn't change how I feel about Phantom Menace. Just going to leave that there. Opinion stated. (laughs) I definitely appreciated and grew to like Jar Jar Binks more in the Clone Wars because of his development and the the way that they developed his character post Attack of the Clones. By this point, we only have this like bumbling, crazy character who quite honestly irritated the living mess out of me. But in the series, we see him acting as this representative for Padme and, and the Count and it's it's really kind of cool to see him grow in this wise politician almost and I really I really did enjoy that absolutely and it does that for a lot of characters like there's a ton of character exploration not only do we get that chance to build on the characters that may have fell flat for us in the movies we get long form storytelling of probably one of my favorite characters in the Star Wars universe a character that we didn't have in any of the movies, Ahsoka Tano. Not only her, we also get introduced to some other remarkable characters like Asajj Ventress as well, Bo-Katan. We get long-form storing of these characters and their development. I honestly like the development that they put into a character like Ahsoka, Ventress, Bo-Katan. About the same for Anakin and Obi-Wan. Pretty cool considering we didn't have Ahsoka before this. Yeah, I was going to jump in and say I really appreciated this new character that they gave us being Ahsoka. Um, I think she had definitely become my favorite character and I was more interested in all of her arcs uh, more so than other particular arcs. I was at first very wary of the idea of enjoying this character we don't ever see again in the actual Star Wars series but the more to date yeah but the more that they developed her and the older she got and the more mature she became I started to appreciate who she was to Anakin and how she developed towards Anakin Anakin and that then strengthening the bond between Anakin and Obi-Wan. If I may, I do have to say I lost my appreciation and my respect towards a particular character during the Clone Wars series in the at the same time as gaining respect 
for Jar Jar. I lost respect and kind of didn't like Padme's portrayal in the Padme character in the Clone Wars as much. Because I remember I said, I remember talking about in a later podcast, really liking this female powerhouse. We see Padme becoming this character because we have, we have Leia, but she's more of this like assisting character. She has a lot of power and she has a lot of lines and she is a main character, but there's not so much girl power as much as there is Padme at this point. When we get to the post-trilogy, I'll talk about the girl power that I appreciate in those movies, but at this point, like, Padme is this great character, but in the Clone Wars, I I felt like her character was downplayed and kind of brought to a, in no offense to Leia. I love Princess Leia. I love everything about her. I love her character. This is no way comparing the character to character. It's more so comparing the writing and character development choices that the writers made for these characters. She kind of got put in a box like Leia did for 4, 5, and 6, in my opinion, during Clone Wars. And that that kind of bummed me out because I was like, oh, these are perfect opportunities to see this groundbreaking female powerhouse. And I felt like that wasn't utilized. I felt like they kind of like, we got to put Padme in here because she's the love interest. That kind of frustrated me. But that is that. I like Ahsoka. She's dope. (laughs) I like Ahsoka too. So it builds on these brand new characters while also continuing to develop on characters that we already know and love. And it does all of this while driving towards the events of Revenge of the Sith. What this series does is it really builds an investment into the events of Revenge of the Sith. Since watching Clone Wars, I can really feel the implications of what happens in that movie. And they were huge. I can feel those now. I think that's... Beautiful, in a word. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's definitely made me really excited to watch Revenge of the Sith again, because we're, we're going in order. We're kind of moving through the big moments. I know we're going to watch Rebels here soon. I probably will start that after I do some cleansing with Buffy, because I've kind of put Buffy on the back burner, and I'm excited to watch that again. But we're kind of moving through this like timeline of Star Wars together. I'm really excited to see, knowing what I know now, go see and go back and watch Revenge of the Sith put this new knowledge I have into play. For sure. I'm so fired up for it. But today we wanted to cover a specific arc in that right live. Yeah, this is like by far my favorite arc, I think. The Yoda one being a very close second. Let's talk about the Youngling arc. The Youngling arc. That was the coolest arc. I enjoyed the Youngling arc because it did a lot of really interesting things. Briefly, I was just going to kind of recap what this arc did for me. The arc centers around six Younglings, Ahsoka and Hu Yang, the great lightsaber architect. We get some other side characters in this like Yoda. We get Hondo the pirate. Primarily, the main characters are the younglings, Ahsoka and Hu Yang. What I really liked about this arc is before this, we'd never really had the opportunity to view the Jedi Order from the perspective of a child. I was reminded of a line that Yoda says in Attack of the Clones, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. I really felt that in this. This arc was just a lot of unbridled fun and goofy 
goofiness while still having some of that traditional Star Wars depth to it. It's an arc that I felt catered well to younger viewers while still having some points for the adults in the audience to really hang their hat on. With these six younglings, I really got like a Breakfast Club personality menu vibe to it. That works. That pretty much always works and everything. So I appreciated that. But what was really interesting is to not only see the perspective through a, the child's eyes, to see these younglings transition into young Jedi through these four episodes. Yeah, I absolutely loved that fact. I loved the fact that this is a, really the first time outside of video games that we see a construction of a lightsaber. We see, you know, the process to become a Padawan learner. You have stages, you know, it's like school. You have to go through elementary school before middle school and middle school before high school. We get to see these younglings transition to Padawan learners, which is so cool. You were talking about some phases. The first episode in this arc is that first rite of passage into young Jedi, and that's the gathering. Yeah. For me, at this point, I've noticed that don't judge the arc based off of the first episode. And I think you noticed when we were watching the most recent arc, on season seven, you asked me after the first episode, okay, what'd you think? And I was like, mm, I need I need to see the next one because I, I knew to not judge how I felt going into episode two based off of the first one that I saw because sometimes that's just a lead up to the bigger story because one of the things I noticed is it is a character development episode. So I'm like, all right, I can't really judge how I feel until I see this. But this one, they jumped into these characters and then threw you into the deep end of, all right, this is what they have to do go do it. I think that's why I loved it so much is because it came to a, a story peak quickly and then kept that same momentum for all four episodes. For the most part, I will definitely agree with you. As far as the gathering goes, though, it was really cool to see the process that these younglings have to go through in order to acquire a kyber crystal. Mm hmm we learn that these kyber crystals essentially sing to the individual that they that the crystal has a natural connection with. It's a crystal that you're destined to have, and only the person that it calls can see it. I really liked that concept. That's a concept that I've seen in the books. It was cool to see that manifested visually on the screen. Yeah, I, I really loved the, and I'm going to take this in a completely different route, but I loved the kind of symbolic gesture that Star Wars for me and one of the things when I'm excited to talk about when we get into episode four, five, and six, I saw such a spiritual connection with this search and hunt for the kyber crystal. It's putting your faith into seeking out something that you're not even 100% certain you're going to find because Yoda sits there and is like, you have until the ice forms in front of the door to come back with your crystal. And these kids are like, oh no, we have a very short amount of time the ice is already developing, like, let's get in there. And we see this one kid come back quickly, grabbing the crystal, coming back, and it's just ice. It, it melts in his hand. Petro. You know, each one of these kids have to have faith that they're going to make it through their own personal trial to get their kyber crystal. And for me, that was like this really cool reminder of why I love Star Wars so much and what drew me to 4, 5, and 6 so much was this personal hunt and this testimony that these kids now get to walk away from because each one faces a challenge challenge. They have to overcome a trouble or a, a hardship that they already struggle with to obtain this kyber crystal. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love this episode, because it brought me back to that young live 
when I saw these movies and was like, oh, I can connect this to faith. I can connect this to my beliefs. I can connect this to where I'm at in my walk. Right. And I liked that part of the trial, the test, that part of the rite of passage is to overcome your fear and your insecurities and shortcomings and come out the other side triumphant. Yeah. I will say one of the funny parts for me was like, so Petro is like the only human of the six kids. He's kind of the jock breakfast club guy. Yeah. Kind of a jerk. I love that Yoda puts him right in his place. Like as he's bringing that crystal back out, he shows it to Yoda and then it just melts. And Yoda in a very Yoda way says, a crystal you have found, water you have brought. (laughs) And Petro just looks so defeated. And I'm like, yes, Petro, humility. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely, there were multiple moments in that episode where I was like, "Mm, knowing what happens to younglings, you would have become a Sith, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Like Anakin's walking through the temple. He sees Petro says, I've read reports about you. Go hop in the speeder. We'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I also like that whole concept of it does get much more Yoda than the Yoda in this episode in the way that he teaches them lessons. Mm -hmm. He said they would be trapped in the cave and the younglings and the younglings were led to believe that this trap was being sealed in there by ice. But as Yoda reveals, really, the trap was the ones they set themselves, those fears that they faced and insecurities and general shortcomings. And I was like, you know, that's a that's such a Yoda lesson right there. That's a Yoda lesson if I've ever heard one. Very much so. And it's not, you know, at this point, it's not the first time that we've seen Yoda kind of utilize that that lesson. If you think about it, four, five, and six being the first movies that came out, he does that with Luke. Absolutely. He does that on Dagobah with Luke. He has to go into, you know, the the bad section of town on Dagobah. And he has to cross those railroad tracks. Oh, it's rough over there. <laughs> oh, that was funny. But yeah, I think that's what this really reminded me of. And it really speaks to the fortune cookie of this episode. He who faces himself finds himself. Mm-hmm. Which also love the fortune cookies at the beginning of these episodes. It really does a good job setting the tone, along with the Tom Kane war, war, clones, Yoda, <laughs> Anakin is a Sith, Commander Cody. At any rate, last thing I want to talk about in the gathering, which it was huge for me, like my heart swelled to see this. We got to see a baby Ahsoka at the beginning of this. Yeah. Like, that was so cute. Like, her running up to Plo Koon, a terrifying individual at that age, likely. Like, I wouldn't have run up to him. But she just had, like, those big Disney eyes. Big old Disney eyes. Big old Disney anime type eyes that really make you feel feels. Yeah, I I really loved... Just in general, this whole arc, and it kind of leads into the the next episode of this arc. But I really loved seeing Ahsoka in a leadership role, kind of this like almost master to these younglings, which I don't know how often, you know, we get to see a Padawan kind of being this leader. You know, we see Anakin as a Padawan. We see Obi-Wan as a Padawan. We see Luke essentially as this 
Padawan, but not really the same. You know, this is the one series, one prequel that we get to see Padawans and their their roles, essentially. It was just really nice to see Ahsoka in this leadership role with these younglings. And I really appreciated a little bit further history of her, but then also this confidence in her that she had standing outside of the door, just like, I've done this. I've been there. Funny enough, it kind of reminded me a little bit of myself when I was the associate director in Houston at a dance company that I used to dance for. It was this like, yeah, I still have leadership over me, but because I have leadership over you, I can help you and guide you and lead you. And that was that was really cool. Yes. I also really appreciated seeing Ahsoka in a leadership role. It's not the first time we've seen her in a leadership role. We've seen her in this solo leadership role before on Mandalore when she's Mm -hmm. teaching these young Mandalorians about, you know, standing up and doing what is right. And eventually they uncover this plot. We also see her on, I can't remember what planet it is off the top of my head, but basically she helps start a rebellion on the planet with a bunch of other kids, one of which was Saul Guerrero. Mm -hmm. So it's not the first time we've seen her in a leadership role per se, but this was the first time where she has like this teacher type role in that like molding these young minds like this is a a huge huge task this entire arc opens with we're running out of jedi we need to start developing these younger jedi quick and we see ahsoka leading that effort with these six like that's huge yeah it's a it's a really cool view of responsibility while yes we've seen her lead groups before this is the first time that we've seen her her lead peers because they become her peers. They become Padawans. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's this really cool transition moment for me. And I think that's one of the beginning stages of really, really investing a lot more in Ahsoka. Like at this point, I, I was I was in I was hooked. I liked Ahsoka. But this was that turning point for me. Where I was like, oh, I can relate to her a lot more now that I'm thinking about it right now. I, I am Ahsoka. She also holds her lightsabers the same way I would if I had lightsabers. Like, I would duel all the way. I'm sure you would. But they would be different colors. Anyway, I really appreciated this rise of Ahsoka. This leads us into the second episode of this arc, which is A Test of Strength, where we see the kids construct their lightsabers and we meet the robot that has been doing it for years and years and years, who knows everything, the Ollivander of Star Wars. <laughs> It's so true. He is quite literally the Ollivander. He has an entire room with all of these components, and he's looking for the right ones. He is Ollivander. I'm not kidding. I have that in my notes as well, except I called him a mobile Ollivanders. Okay, okay. Since he on a ship and everything. This is true. He he on a ship. He also probably a lot older. He's been around for a thousand generations. He has a catalog of a lot of Jedi's lightsabers. See, the only thing is Ollivander just remembers everyone he's ever sold a wand to. So he's not a robot. So I think Ollivander's cooler. But that's that's beside the point. Ollivander doesn't actually make them though. Yeah, okay. He doesn't imbue them with magic. He doesn't teach people how to imbue them with magics. Yeah, okay. Yang actually helps with those things. He has that knowledge. Yeah, but I mean, you got to be pretty smart to be able to listen to a wand. I guess. Yeah. He's not a lightsaber architect. I guess that's all I'm saying. 
Yeah, there are differences. It's fine. This isn't Harry Potter. It's fine. But no, it definitely, it was, it was a really cool moment of, you know, them picking out their pieces, them imagining what they wanted from these lightsabers, what they wanted them to look like. I definitely have to say, Baby Chewie's my favorite lightsaber. Gunji. He was so cute. Yeah, he had a little wooden one. He's so cute. Baby Chewie. He would have a wooden one, you know, trying to get that Kashyyyk feel. Oh, of course. But yeah, I really, I really loved the transition. You know, we've got the kyber crystals. We're now on the ship. We're learning how we construct this lightsaber. And these kids are wide-eyed and excited because they've been building up to this moment throughout their training thus far. Then craziness strikes. And of course it would. Like, nothing can go smooth in Star Wars. When I get excited, I'm like, oh, we're going to build our lightsaber. get to see the colors of their lightsaber. Let's go. And then the pirates come. And I'm like, you ruined it for me but it was still cool like don't get me wrong it was still super dope you ruined my excitement now i have to be patient fine hondo onaka boarding your ship is exciting i mean yeah but i want to see the lightsabers I was excited. Like, even if we didn't get to see the actual final build, I think it was cool to kind of see sort of a phase one of how to make a lightsaber. We see all the kids trying to construct their lightsabers guided by abstract thoughts and visualizations and trying to let the force guide the parts into one cohesive unit. And that was cool. My my favorite arc would have been altered had I not gotten to see them construct it. Only because I remember my dad, when we were younger, would read us Star Wars books. And it would allude to the fact that Jedi had to meditate while building these lightsabers. And the, the meditation process that they had to go through to put them together and actually construct them correctly was in my grasp of actually seeing with my eyes opposed to imagining in my head. If it had been ripped away from me completely, I would have probably been very upset. I just wanted to put that out there, that there was this sentimental value of, I really, really got to see them put the, don't don't tease me, I want to see it. I know, I remember watching it with you. I was there. Yeah, because at the end of this episode, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, okay, but when do we get to see them build the lightsaber? Yeah, I remember. I mean, we already kind of touched on this, but we we continue to see Ahsoka in this leadership role. Like when Hondo boards, it was remarkable to see just how quickly she reacts and thinks and comes up with a plan. And what was equally as remarkable was how quickly these crazy kids picked up from her example. Like as Ahsoka is going off on her own to take care of the pirates and to set the ship up to jettison all the bad guys, the kids take up arms and come up with innovative ways to fight back. The cocky kid, Petro, the jock, he kind of has a little bit of a moment of redemption for me with his little trick that he played on the pirates where he gives them a lightsaber with the polarity flipped so that the lightsaber would essentially explode. I loved that. I thought that was so smart. It was. And that was sort of a moment of redemption for me, for him, at least. Yeah, it kind of went from like, oh, you're going to be a Sith to maybe you'll be a Sith. Gray Jedi. Gray Jedi. For sure. But this episode got kind of dark, though. I mean, first of all, the plan to jettison everyone off into space. Not a fun way to go, to be sucked out into this void. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. It, It really definitely gave me this moment of we see Ahsoka as if she were a Jedi master. 
there was this moment that flipped for her of, I now have to protect these kids. I now have to lead these kids. I have to be the leader. I have to take up arms and be what my master has been for me so many times before. And I think one of the cool things about the construction of this episode was we see a lot of Anakin's decision-making skills and a lot of the things that Anakin probably would have done if it were him in this position moving through Ahsoka. And we really see Anakin's stamp on Ahsoka for the first, for me, for the first time, because she is having to do this on her own. There, There is this leadership role that she has now taken up, and we've seen her do a lot before. A lot of it has to, has to go off of her decisions being made by the council of the Jedi she's calling out to. In prior episodes, we see a lot of times that she's calling them up and being like, hey, this is what's going on. What do you advise? And this time, she doesn't have time to do that. She doesn't have time to be like, hey, master sky guy, like, what do I do? She has to do it on her own, <laughs> you know? And it's like- Good pull. <laughs> Thanks. We see Ahsoka make decisions that I can only assume Anakin probably would have also made, that being opening up the hatch and shooting everybody out into space. It was really cool to see Ahsoka make her own choices, but also see Anakin's influence. For sure. But sadly, in the process of executing on that, she is also sucked out and captured by Hondo in his band of merry pirates. <laughs> nice. Next episode. Next episode. Yeah, because we end with her getting caught. We're in Bound for Rescue. Which, the fortune cookie for this episode, when we rescue others, we rescue ourselves. <laughs> some of these I love, and then there's some that I'm just like, it's a little cheesy, but they make sense. I can't help it. I'm just like, it's cute. I had a question for you about this fortune cookie. What do you think it means? Where do you see this fortune cookie in Bound for Rescue? I think it's a character building fortune cookie. I don't think it means in a literal sense when like we rescue others, we rescue ourselves because that's what it says, right? Yeah. I don't think it means in a literal sense of physically rescuing somebody else means we're rescuing ourselves. I think it was a character building fortune cookie. It more had to do with the mindset of the younglings. Finding that courage to rescue somebody else only grew their confidence more, which in the future could potentially bring out a self-rescue if they were on a mission on their own. So I also took it in a literal sense. Okay. And I actually had to really think about this. I didn't really see where the fortune cookie played in very well on this one. Like, obviously, it's a rescue mission, rescuing others, rescuing ourselves. Okay. But usually there's some sort of deeper meaning to it. What I got from it was by making the effort to go down to Florum to save Ahsoka and retrieve her before she's sold off and probably lost forever. Mm -hmm. By doing that, they are rescuing the Jedi Order. The premise behind this arc is... As I've said before, the Jedi numbers are starting to dwindle a little bit and they need everyone that they can get. So by recovering every Jedi that they can, they're in a better position. That makes sense. I also took it as sort of like a sarcastic way. Like in this episode, Obi-Wan instructs the younglings not to pursue the pirates on forum, but they find out that their engines are overheating, they're leaking coolant, and they need to land to let their engines cool might as well rescue Ahsoka at the same time. Right. By going to rescue Ahsoka, they are 
rescuing themselves and avoiding certain death in space because their engines might explode. Yeah, which would suck. We would lose all of our cool younglings, which I mean, we do anyways, but we lose them sooner. I'm a realist. The glass has water in it. It's not half full, not half empty. There's just water. No, but yeah, that's a that's a really good point. A lot of times I forget midway through what the fortune cookie was. That's a fault of mine. Like I pay attention to it, but then I like disregard it mainly because I'm invested in the episode itself. Um, so I, did, I never really truly think about it as in depth, but I, I'm going to try to do that now. It's interesting because I see the fortune cookie as this is the message you're supposed to get from this episode. Look for it. Gotcha. Which is sort of an interesting call because sometimes I like to watch something and see what conclusions I come to. Right. And the things that I pick up on. In some cases, like I almost like to watch an episode twice, like one where I ignore the fortune cookie and then one when I like look for the fortune cookie. Yeah. And maybe when I go through it a second time, I'll pay more attention to the fortune cookie because I'll actually know. Because in this this run through, I really was looking for a lot of connectivity between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And that's kind of what I did the first time I watched it too, was I was just going through it and I got so invested in the world building. And then on subsequent rewatches, I started to actually like dive deep. Okay, this is what the fortune cookies mean. Yeah. But at any rate, when we rescue others, we rescue ourselves by joining a circus. I loved that. The circus piece fell flat for me a little bit, to be perfectly honest. I had a feeling that was what you were going to say. Like, it doesn't turn me off from the arc or even the episode for that matter. It worked, but it still kind of fell flat at the same time. It was weird. It was the kids thinking as kids do, which makes sense in saying we need to rescue Ahsoka. Oh, there's a carny. Let's go join the circus and pose as acrobats to distract a bunch of drunk pirates. Yeah, I think for me, I resonated a little bit differently with it because it was the most fitting way for kids to go into a pirate base, more or less undetected. Because I was thinking about it, I tried to wrap my head around different ways that these younglings could have successfully taken Ahsoka out out of this prison and successfully figured out ways to break her out. And quite honestly, I think the only route I could potentially even think about is a circus, is being a, is being these acrobats that can do these magnificent things to distract our main pirate, our main bad guy over here enough to break her free. If you're going to join a circus, you could also put three of them in a really large trench coat and pretend to go buy Ahsoka. Yeah, I mean that's that's true too. I mean that's a that's a possibility. I don't know. I I found it I found it fitting. As you were saying that, like I started to kind of have a change of heart because it does really make sense. But you know, there's arcs and stuff in in Clone Wars. So I'm like, eh, didn't really resonate with me that you loved, and I'm like, I mean, it was good, but it's not my favorite. I hear you. The one big point that I want to make with this episode that I loved was unlike the last episode with the lightsaber construction, where it was a mental struggle for these younglings to construct their lightsaber. The approach that they took in this was a much more meditative and spiritual approach to lightsaber building. I loved that. 
you really get a sense that they're trying to connect with the force. Yeah. And then, you know, we move into the, I think for me personally, I think it's my favorite speeder chase in Clone Wars. Rewatching it, I got excited again because I'm like, this is actually super epic because we have critical thinking, we have creativity, and we have quick acting, quick on your feet, decision making in this speeder chase after they have gotten Ahsoka and now we're trying to run away. I thought that was just a super, you know, I don't have any in-depth specific things that I loved. I just overall, I really, really did love the speeder chase that we see between the pirates and the the younglings with Ahsoka. I thought that was super cool. No, absolutely. That was awesome. And I thought it was also really cool how it was a very high energy chase scene. And I love that they did sort of the same thing that we saw in Firefly. Mm-hmm. where in Firefly, they're on the planet and they're driving along and has to fly in front of them, basically, and they get scooped up. Right. This has sort of that similar feel to it, even though they don't get scooped up. But it had that. It really reminded me of that. And I loved it. Gennody and Hu Yang are still on the ship. Petro calls him, says, hey, we need to pick up ASAP. Then they come along and, you know, as we both know, it kind of fails because they crash. Which personally, I loved the fact that it failed. I loved this like not happy ending to what I thought was like, at this point, I'm like, all right, the arc's about to end. They're going to get away. It's going to be fine. But then they don't. And I really enjoyed that. I I liked the continuation of, oh, there's another. But yeah, it takes us into a necessary bond, which it's the best way to conclude this this arc, in my opinion. I, I found that this... This whole arc has so many turn of events. You know, we have start with getting the kyber crystals and there's these there's these moments where you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" and then something unexpected happens and we get that for each and every episode in this arc for the most part and and they're captured. And then we see General Grievous is there taking over the pirate fortress. You know, the pirates are like, "Yeah, we're going to bring these younglings in and we're going to be so dope." And they peek in beforehand. And and they're like, uh-oh, it's all gone up in flames over there. What do we do? Yeah, it's kind of funny because this almost feels like a vengeance mission mm-hmm. from the perspective of Dooku. Yes. He was once held prisoner by Hondo. This was just sort of a funny turn of events. Dooku sends Grievous and the Separatist army to take over Florum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely really, it's really cool. In this episode, I liked what they did with Hondo a lot. Like, we know that he's a selfish character. He's a pirate. Mm-hmm. All he cares about is really profit. But in this one... I felt like they gave him a lot more heart, which I liked because you can never really tell where Hondo stands with you. In this episode, he kind of plays that friendly, lovable uncle. (laughs) Yes. So in the last episode, everybody got their lightsaber built except for... The the, the sinus infection kid. It was Katuni. Yeah, the sinus infection kid. She talks like she's got a sinus infection. Oh. (laughs) I was thinking... Chickadee. Chickadee. Yeah, chickadee. Sinus infection, allergies, you know, the same difference. Zatuni, the chickadee with a sinus infection. Or COVID-19. <laughs> Goodness, I hope not. I did not see social distancing in this episode. There was none. She is basically the only one that has not constructed her lightsaber. Hondo is in this ray field as a prisoner. Zatuni constructs her lightsaber in front of Hondo in an effort to 
as part of a deal that Hondo and Ahsoka made with one another. And throughout that process, like Hondo is like rooting for her and cheering her on and being encouraging and stuff like that, which I liked. I liked that. I like Hondo as a character a lot, even if he is kind of a selfish jerk sometimes. Well, yeah, he's kind of got this like best of both worlds kind of development as a character. We see this lovable, as you said, you know, uncle type feel to him. He kind of gives me bounty hunter vibes, even though I know he's not a bounty hunter. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the prize. I like him so much because he reminds me of Nash as the newest Wells character in the Flash series, where he's got this selfishness to him, but he also has this heart. I definitely like him. I do too. I just realized I was saying her name wrong. It's Katuni, not Zatuni. So I apologize. It's okay. I'm just going to keep calling her Chickadee. I should have called her Chickadee up front and not worried about her real name. It's okay. We forgive you. But there was one thing that I wanted to touch on that you lost your ever alone <laughs> mind over. Yes. My turning point for droids. Yes. So I will let you talk about this event that happened. So we're we're at this point where the pirates have successfully captured Ahsoka and the younglings. They have witnessed the droids and Grievous have taken over their dojo. And they're like, well, we, we need to go and get Captain Selfish Pants because he has the <laughs> he, he knows where this hangar is. I don't I got to give him nicknames. I can't remember all these names and I'm not going to embarrass myself by the way I do with Ewan McGregor. Some call him Hondo. Some call him Captain Selfish Pants. It's fine. <laughs> He's Captain Selfish Pants. But they're like, we need we need to go get Captain Selfish Pants because he knows where this this hangar is and we can make our, our grand escape. But we have to get him because we can't get in. And so like, okay, cool, we're gonna do this this rescue mission. We're gonna go get him and we're gonna go to this hangar. So they like sneak in and they start hacking and slashing these droids. And Grievous gets this phone call, right? He he opens his his Apple Watch. And a hologram of of a droid comes up and he's this droid quite literally says, there are many Jedi around. And Grievous is like, what are you talking about many Jedi? And this, this droid's like, you know, a Jedi, but like half the size. And you see one of the one of the younglings come up and slash him in the knees. He's like, ah, my knees. And I lost it. <laughs> Just because like it, Captain Obvious over here, my knees. He's hacked because that's that's the only height that this this little youngling can actually reach is this droid's knees. So he's like, well, cut him down short, put him at my height. And he's like, ah, my knees like lost it. Now my new favorite moment with droids. They don't just say Roger, Roger. They have one more line. They only say Roger, Roger and ah, my knees because that's what droids do. I like it when they say why. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they say why too. It was definitely the best. It was by far for me the funniest moment in all of Clone Wars. Like that part will forever be the best comedy moment in Clone Wars history. And no one can tell me otherwise. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise because I loved your reaction to it. And it just <laughs> makes me happy thinking about it. It's just funny. And that's now become a thing. Like between you and I, we we pull little funny details from movies or TV shows or things in general. And it becomes like we use it in common everyday sentences. One being from Schitt's Creek where David has said, mm, eat glass. And now we have 
ah, my knees, whenever anything pains us. Um, if Alfred, your cat, is trying to gain our attention and is clawing at my thigh or my calf, it's not my thigh or my calf, it's ah, my knees. It doesn't matter. From here on out, pain is always ah, my knees. Thank you for walking us through that. You're welcome. Anytime. But yeah, jumping back ahead, they break Hondo, Captain Selfish Pants, out of jail. There's another chase scene. They're trying to make their way to Hondo's secret. His bat cave. His bat cave. Captain Selfish Pants' bat cave, where we find Slave One. But sadly, not all the younglings are with them. They had to break off. And Captain Selfish Pants is trying to be Captain Selfish Pants. He's trying to run away. But once again, homegirl Katuni, Madam Chickadee, Madam Chickadee herself, <laughs> guilt him into helping her friends. Yeah, she's like, uh, look, Captain Selfish Pants, uh, we really, we really shouldn't just leave. That was my best uh, Chickadee impression. <laughs> that was a, that was a really solid Chickadee impression. Well done. Thank you. She just sounds congested, like so congested. I guess they don't have Claritin. They must not. It's fine. But all of the other younglings, plus Ahsoka and Hu Yang, are on the run, and they're cornered by Grievous, facing certain death. Hondo comes and saves the day in the Slave One. Which is super dope. Agreed. But we also get a small duel between Ahsoka and Grievous, which I thought was really cool, because Ahsoka, being a Padawan, is up against this known Jedi assassin with very little fear. And it was really cool to see her up against this big bad guy that her her master and her master's master have both fought and have not defeated. So I thought that was really cool to see a battle between her and him for a moment. That, that was really, really cool. Yes, I love the fights with Grievous. And I'll talk more about what I like about fights with Grievous when we talk Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah, because that fight is amazing. But at any rate, episode ends with a Knights of the Round Table type deal. Yep. Back in the hangar, and everyone lives happily ever after until Anakin kills them all. Yep, because they all die. Bum, bum, bum. They all are like, ah, my knees. No, I, I really liked the ending because they're, they're with Yoda, and it's this nice bookend moment where they've started this journey with Yoda and now they're ending this journey with Yoda, not as they once were. It's a very fast-paced version of how does a Jedi become a Jedi? Well, they have to go through trials. And even Yoda says that himself, like, this is definitely a trial. Um, and you've definitely faced your own personal trial at a, such a young age. And it was really cool to see that acknowledged. And watching it a second time after completing the series up until this point, because we're not, you know, season seven isn't over. We're waiting for every Friday for a new one to, to be released. So it's not completed by the time we've recorded this. But watching it a second time, it reminds me of the true heart of the Jedi and where they really are because up until re-watching it, I was still a little mad at the Jedi Order and the Jedi Council for decisions they had made at the end of this season and then being reminded of it in this new Ahsoka arc that season seven is giving us right now. I, I, I remembered in these moments of there is this sense of compassion and there is this sense of love towards these younger learners in the Force. And I really, I really loved the conclusion and it with Yoda as we 
begun the whole arc with Yoda. I think that's one of the other reasons why I love it so much is there was so much Yoda in there, even in his absence. It was it was really cool. That's a great point. I like what you said there. Like there was like Yoda was there throughout this, even when you didn't see him. Like his spirit was there. Yes, which takes me into my question. Nice segue, babe. Do you like what I did there? That was actually on purpose. I love it. It was very, very good. Very clever. I want to ask our listener, because my other favorite arc, my my second favorite arc, and we're going to touch on this at a later point, my second favorite arc being uh, an arc later on in season six, being Yoda's discovery of this new force ability that we have yet to really discover, and that being after death and how to hone hone in and harness this living force after you've passed. We then discover is how Yoda becomes Blue Yoda, Blue Force Yoda, how Obi-Wan becomes Blue Force Obi-Wan, the spirit. Force ghosts. Force ghosts. And one of the things, because we, we watched it together and we sat there and when we completed it, I posed a question to you, Dave. Since then, we've kind of discussed the, the answer that we possibly could come up with. I think we both came up with a very similar conclusion. We learn in this arc that you have to go through these trials with like Mother Force herself. And he travels to this weird orb of a planet where the Force is kind of harnessed. And Yoda develops this understanding and this sense of selflessness to where when he dies, he can still live on and train and develop and, and assist future Jedi. My question to you, Dave, well, how does Anakin do it? Because if we know that Obi-Wan does it after Anakin becomes Vader, right? So how does Anakin then become Blue Anakin? And since then, Dave and I have kind of developed our own theories on how that works and what potentially could have been the outcome of Anakin becoming Blue Anakin. I've kind of discovered in my own way and kind of come up with my own theory on how Luke was able to do that. But Anakin doesn't know about it. So how does he do it? But then we also have Leia who does it as well. So that's my question to our listeners. What is your theory on Anakin not knowing about these trials that Yoda and Obi-Wan go through become blue Anakin? Ghost Force Anakin. There's your question. I want to know what you have to say. So yeah, um, hit us up on our socials with your theories and thoughts because we're going to talk about it on our next arc deep dive uh, of a Clone Wars because we're going to actually talk about that that particular arc with Yoda um, going through those trials and discovering this new way of the Force through the guidance of Qui-Gon Jinn. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and, and maybe even read a couple of your thoughts on the podcast before we share ours. And that is another episode of Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Liv. I'm Dave. And you can check out our show on bit.ly backslash pizza and parsecs pod or on your podcast platform of choice. If you like what you hear, do us a solid and head over to iTunes to rate and review us. We love internet people. So head over to our socials and give us a shout at pizza and parsecs. We would love to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You know, like Jedi, but half the size. Ah, my knees. also have it pulled up on my computer and of course joe exotic is an ad next to it with his tigers good <laughs> good great 
Anyway, and you can check out our show on bit.ly backslash pizza and parsecs pod or on your pla- pod. Mm, the ca- crap, 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 crap. <laughs> I could read the script and then I remember I'm dyslexic.